0: Philippians 3 12 through 16. Beginning at verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. To what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray together. Father, that's uh, one of our many prayers for the new year. Let us hold true to what we have attained, to what you've taught us, to what we've learned, to what we've gleaned from your precious word. Help us to hold true to it and continue to teach us, continue to instruct us, to ten- continue to sanctify us as we strain forward to that high call of, that you've placed on us, the high call of God in Christ Jesus. As we begin this new year, Lord, help us to press on, no matter what, no matter what, for your great glory and our great good, we ask that, Father. And now, Lord, once again, we ask that the meditation of our heart together today and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Hope your legs are feeling good now from that up and down uh, and doing good. Off to a good start on your uh, exercise resolutions. God bless you. Way to go. Okay. It's a great joy to begin another year with you, uh, with my church family. pray that God will be honored uh, in our lives, both individually and corporately, in 2022. May he be honored in our marriages, in our families, in our corporate life together as the body of Christ, as the body that that Jesus is building, and may he continue to do that in the coming year. Um, This may be the year he returns. That would be okay, too, okay? Uh, But God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. I'll be praying for those that aren't here, either still traveling over the holidays or from the sickness that... uh, that Mark mentioned earlier, you know, uh, the youth minister—I mean, the music minister's wife has COVID. Assistant music minister's wife has COVID. Uh, so we got Mark, uh, and he, man, where'd he go? Uh, my wife has a bad cough, but you still have me. Sorry, okay, no substitutes for me today. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to be here and thankful to be here. Um, my question for you as we begin this message today is: What is your mindset? coming out of Christmas. I confess, I've mentioned this to you before on uh, post-Christmas messages or New Year's Day messages or Sunday after Christmas messages. Uh, man, I often have to battle the blahs. I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. always loved the season. loved love the time. But for some reason, not as much this year. Maybe I'm finally growing up, okay? Uh, several years ago, however, T.M. Moore helped me out with his little book, entitled A Mighty Fortress, A Mighty Fortress. In that book, he focused on Christ's ultimate victory, which was guaranteed by the fact of the incarnation. Using a little-known writing of John Milton, you know, John Milton got roped up, Paradise Lost. We probably read him in our high school literature class, Okay. But he found a little-known writing by Milton entitled On the Morning of Christ's Nativity. And from that writing, he he based his little book, A Mighty Fortress. And in that book, he noted that the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of the incarnation, is declared from a cosmic and eschatological, i.e., end times, Perspective, as the birth of the baby in Bethlehem is celebrated as the birth of the Lord of glory who will ultimately vanquish all, every single one of his foes. And this proper view of Christmas lines up with what Chris mentioned uh, with the words of the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 9 that we read during Christmas, we always read during Christmas, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's an eschatological perspective, right? Because right now we know the world is 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 saturated with things that destroy peace, division, factions, friction, battles, wars, political infighting, etc., etc. Okay, but Isaiah gets us looking to the future. Of the increase of government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal, Isaiah tells us, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will, he will, not maybe, not might, he will do this. So the message of Isaiah and of Milton in his book on the morning of Christ's nativity is clearly this. We should see Christmas not as a time of self-indulgence and sentimentality, but as a time for jubilant, exuberant, joyful celebration, as we saw in our study of Psalm 98 during Advent. Let me quote T.M. Moore from his book. He said this, Christmas is the 4th of July of the church. I love that. Don't you love that? Okay. Um, maybe we really should have Christmas in July. And I've already, remember, I've already instructed our music minister, uh, as you've already been told this home because his wife has COVID. Uh, I've already instructed our music minister to sing Joy to the World, which is the hymn that is taken from Psalm 98. In July, and he's already put that down on his uh, to-do calendar. So Moore says Christmas is the 4th of July of the church and should be celebrated with fireworks of heartfelt and glorious praise and thanksgiving coupled with, key phrase that we're going to unpack this morning, renewed conviction. Renewed conviction, kind of like New Year's resolution, right? Renewed conviction. Keep that phrase in mind coupled with renewed conviction and greater boldness in service to the king who still sits on his glorious throne to bring the reign of peace and light to all the nations. Amen. So, Christmas should be a time of renewing our resolve. Instead of New Year's resolutions or New Year's resolve, maybe it should be Christmas resolve, Christmas resolutions. Christmas should be a time of renewing our resolve and our commitment. We should use this season not only to engage in the family Christmas traditions that we love so much, not only to celebrate the Advent season with our church family, but also to dedicate ourselves to celebrating the victory of our King through the Incarnation. We should come out of Christmas not exhausted and deeper in debt, but with an invigorated vision of Christ's ultimate victory over the serpent, whose head has been crushed and more resolve to carry the fight against the enemies of God and his people. Pastor Tom Askell said it in a, in a, uh, at a conference that some of us went to last summer. Amos went with me on that. And I, I think Tony Williams went. And I uh, uh, can't remember who else. But anyway, Tom Askell said, the failure of resolve has been the bane of God's people throughout history. Let me say that again. The failure of resolve. The commitment to press on, which is the subject of Paul's text that we're studying this morning. The failure to press on, no matter what. The failure of resolve has been the bane, the scourge, the plight of God's people throughout history. Too many giving up, too many quitting, too many losing heart. So on this New Year's Sunday, I want to encourage you, dear church family, to not lose heart. No matter what. No matter how discouraging or depressing the circumstances around us get, Press on. Press on. Strain forward. We'll be looking at those phrases today. And why do we need this? Why do we need to be reminded of this? Why do we need this intensified resolve? Because the unstoppable advance of God's kingdom does not come without struggle. We need to recognize this and be more zealous. Remember that word? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As children, as adopted spiritual children of the Lord of hosts, we have inherited that quality, zeal, zealousness. So, we need to recognize this and be more zealous in our engagement in the battle and and do what Paul said in more than one place fight the good fight. Christ has won the ultimate victory. Hallelujah. We can rest in that. He has won the ultimate victory through his work at the cross and in his resurrection from the dead. And we are his soldiers. In the battles that still rage until his glorious return to consummate the kingdom. More continues. Christ has won the victory. Soon he will win the last battle. This is certain. Yes, beloved, it is certain. This is certain. But we must fight that battle daily in each of our lives, recalling as Christmas leads us to do that the child king of Bethlehem has become the almighty emperor of the worlds who will never fail us nor forsake us as we go forth in his name. Let that last phrase echo In the recesses of your mind. As we go forth. In his name. Or as Paul would say. In our text for today. In verse 14. As we press on. Toward the goal. For the prize. Of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. As we begin 2022 together. This is what I want us to consider this morning. And we'll hang our thoughts on three points that emerge from this text. Number one, the prize that is promised. The prize that is promised. Number two, the process that is prescribed. The process that is prescribed. And number three, the priority of perseverance. The priority of perseverance. So let's ponder this text together. Number one, the prize that is promised. Let's think about the prize that awaits us. The prize that awaits us. The ultimate prize. The long-awaited-for prize. The cherished prize. The culmination of all our hopes and the end of all our fears. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is this prize? Well, first we notice that the prize involves the call of God. We press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The prize involves God's call. On our lives. And what is that call? Well Romans 8.28-30 tells us very clearly what the call is. And also what the prize is. Look there with me. Romans chapter 8 verses 28-30. through 30. And we know that for those who love God. All things work together for good. For those who are called. There it is. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the prize. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, that Jesus would be the firstborn of others who will follow him in becoming Perfect in that glorious final day. And those whom he predestined, he also called. There's the calling again. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Written in the past tense, even though it hadn't happened yet, because it's as good as done. There's our prize. The prize is glorification. The prize is total and complete and perfect conformity to the image of Christ. The prize is that we get to be like Jesus. This is the prize for which we press on. This is what Philippians 2, 12 and 13, one of our favorite passages, describes. We work out our salvation. That's just another way of saying we press on. We press on. We work out, not work for, we work out the salvation that's been gifted to us by the amazing grace of God. We work out our salvation. We press on, trusting that God is at work in us to make us like Christ. For it's God who works in you, both the will and to work, for his pleasure. And his pleasure is to make us like Jesus And he's doing that. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Question, can we make ourselves like Jesus? No. No. Follow-up question. Can we press on toward this upward call? Yes. Yes. So it's a principle, principle we've seen throughout our history as a church. We do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do. We pray, we study, we read the Bible, we fellowship with each other, we go to Sunday school, we go to Bible study, we listen to sermons, we read good theological books, we partake of the Lord's Supper, we persevere in tribulation, we live under the authority of God-honoring elders, et cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera, all the things that we can do. We do what we can do, we press on, and we trust God to do what he can do, that is sanctify us, transform us into the image of his son. This is what a disciple of Christ does. Please, please, dear church family, hear this. This is what one who is truly saved does. They don't just make a decision, even get baptized, and then they live a sleepy, non-zealous, nonchalant, apathetic, I'm going to heaven because I said a prayer life for the rest of their life. That is not a disciple of Jesus. Please hear what I'm lovingly but firmly trying to communicate to you this morning. Please Hear this. This is what a disciple of Jesus does. Jesus never asked us to make a decision for him. He commanded us to follow him. He didn't ask us to follow He commanded us to follow him. And this is where Paul taught his definition of disciple is so instructive. On his little book, Counseling One Another. How we're to help one another In becoming disciples, he said this, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is committed to a lifelong process of growing in obedience to his master's commands, i.e. a lifelong process of, yeah, you got it, pressing on, pressing on. And by doing so, what's happening? We're becoming like him. Isn't it beautiful? Let me read that definition again. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is committed to a lifelong process. Lifelong process. Not make a decision or say a prayer and do your own thing for the rest of your life. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is committed to a lifelong process of growing, growing, being sanctified, becoming like Jesus, of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, of growing in righteousness and holiness, of growing in others' firstness and, and 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 the lordship of Christ, growing, growing, please. I can't say this enough, I can't emphasize this enough, of growing. Again, not walking an aisle, raising a hand when nobody's looking, and then doing your own thing for the rest of your life, and thinking you're going to heaven. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who is committed to a lifelong process of growing in obedience to his master's commands. That includes and begins with baptism. And by doing so, becomes like him. what a prize think about it what a prize becoming like Jesus do you have any goal in your life that surpasses that if you do then you're, you may not be a Christian happy new year right this is life and death, beloved. Churches across the land are filled with people who made a decision or raised a hand or prayed a prayer or got baptized and nothing changed and they think they're going to heaven. That's tragic. That's tragic. And your elders who love you so much do not want that to happen here. What a price. Becoming like Jesus. And ultimately, at the end of the road of ever-increasing sanctification is the prize of glorification. And coming with that longed-for prize are other glorious blessings. Everlasting life, heavenly rewards, crowns and wreaths. Hey, hey we're going to get a crown just for wanting Jesus to come back. We get a crown for that. Eternal rest, new heavens, new earth, perfect righteousness, no sin. God himself. Spurgeon said, quote, that day when there are no days but the ancient of days. Hallelujah. No more darkness, no more night. What a prize! So my word to you on this first Sunday of 2022, beloved, is press on. Press on. Don't even think about throwing in the towel. Don't even consider getting off the racetrack of your life that God has placed you on, marked out for you, as Hebrews 12 says. Press on. Unimaginable joys await you. And dear unsafe friend, if you're here today, I, I hate even telling you what awaits you if you die without Christ. Unless you repent and believe in Jesus, what awaits you is hell forever. Hell forever, the total opposite of unimaginable joys. Unimaginable, unimaginable horror awaits you. So as always, today is the day of salvation. If you're here without Christ, today is the day. Today is the day. And you can begin your life of pressing on for the glory of God and the good of those around you that love you and that you love and that care about you. So that's the prize that's promised. Perfect Christ-likeness. Secondly, the process that is prescribed. Verse thirteen tells us it's a it's a twofold action. It's a twofold action, brothers. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Isn't that interesting? One thing I do. Then he mentions two things. Okay, preacher, explain that for us. Oh, you know the, the Bible haters. Oh, contradiction, contradiction, contradiction in the Bible doesn't make sense. What did you? One thing I do. Well. Th- these two, it's a two-fold action. It's one action that has two aspects. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. They go together as one action. Forgetting the past, pressing on toward the future. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, let's unpack this. Let's unpack this uh, biblically, okay? Let's, first, let's consider the first action of the unified action, the first aspect of the unified action of forgetting and straining forward. With me? With me? Are you with me? Okay. Let's c- consider this forgetting what lies behind. What James Montgomery Boyce calls a sanctified forgetting. A sanctified forgetting or the proper type of forgetting for the believer. Because I mean, let's just think logically, biblically, biblically more important, but even logically. Logically, it's not unspiritual. What does the word logic come from? Greek word logos. What is the logos? The word, the word made flesh, the word. Okay. So True logic is based on the Word of God, right? Okay, so let's just think logically and and therefore biblically. Obviously, there are things we do not want to forget. We don't want to forget what we've learned from Scripture. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Jesus promised that. We don't want to forget God's grace throughout our life because we, we want to increase in gratitude and thanksgiving. We we don't want to forget God's amazing grace from our past. We don't want to forget what Jesus has done for us. In fact, we, we remember every week, every Sunday we come and remember. This do in remembrance of me. Don't forget this. We don't want to forget our lost condition and the price God paid to save us from it. We don't want to forget that. We, don't, we want to keep that ever before us because it makes us more wor- worshipful, it makes us more thankful. We don't want to forget our covenant relationship with God and with, ju- with each other. In fact, every year around September, we remember that. We remember our covenant that we've made as a church family with each other, ultimately a covenant with God. And, and we, could, we could add to that list. So obviously, when Paul says forgetting what lies behind, he's not talking about everything, okay? And the Bible even positively instructs us to remember. I think in Acts 10, we're to remember the words of Jesus who said it's better to give than receive. We're to remember each other in prayer. We're to remember, in Hebrews, those in prison. We're to remember, in Galatians 2, the poor. In Hebrews 13, we're to remember our leaders. In Revelation, the church at Ephesus was told to remember from where she had fallen and to repent and return. So, this call to forget... What lies behind isn't a call to totally wipe out every past event in our lives. Boyce describes it like this. It is the kind of forgetting that occurs when we cease to let things that are in the past overshadow the present. That lets the past be the past. It's done. There's nothing else we can do about it. It's over. It's, we let the past be the past, both the good and the bad, and that. Constantly looks forward to the work that God still has for us to do. Now think about it. Every one of us in here, we have a good past and a bad past, right? Examples for me good past, meeting Amy Lanier. Good past, birth of Donna and Ty. Good past, birth of my grandchildren. Good past, Becoming the pastor of this beloved, precious church family. We could go on and on and on and on with our good past, meeting you guys, intertwining my life with, with you. Good past, good past. But then there's a bad past, right? Bad past. You want me to talk about bad past? <laughs> bad past. Spending one night in, in in juvenile in the eighth grade. Bad past. Yeah? Being on probation for a year or so. Bad past. Yeah, th- yes, me. Your pastor was a juvenile. He was a juvenile delinquent, okay? Smoking in the bathroom at Gordon High School. Bad past, bad past, okay? Things in college I won't mention, okay? Bad past, bad past. We all have it. You, don't look at me spiritual. You have it. And. There is a good way and a bad way to think about both, right? Let's let's talk about this. With regard to our good past, the meeting our spouse path, the birth of our children past, those kind of things. It's bad if we are constantly wishing we were in the good old days. That's bad. You don't want to do that. Forgetting what lies behind falls this falls under that category, forgetting what lies back, always moaning, oh, I wish it was like it used to be. No, that's bad. Even though what we're thinking about was good, it's bad to want to go back there. You can't. You can't. Okay, it's good, still talking about the good past. It's good if we remember the good times with gratitude, but we move on with our eyes fixed on Jesus, our mindset on things above, and trusting in the providential hand of God while constantly thanking Him for past blessings. So to sum those two up, with regard to our good past. Beloved, be ever thankful. Be ever thankful. Be always thankful for the good things in our past. But don't dwell on them to the point where it negatively affects our focus on the present moment that God has given us. With me? Okay. Now with regard to our bad past. It's bad if we are paralyzed by it. And constantly wallowing in it. Why me? If only, if only, what if? I wish, I wish, I wish, et cetera, et cetera. That's bad. That's bad. You don't want to be there. But it's good if we learn from it. It's good if we learn from it. Oh, God, thank you. It's good if, we, if our thank, gratitude grows out of it. God, thank you for not leaving me as a juvenile delinquent to become a hardened criminal all my life. Thank you. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for opening my eyes. Thank you for slapping me by the side of the head and refocusing me. Thank you. Thank you for saving me from that. Because that's what could have happened. We were all born in the devil's family, right? Jesus told a bunch of religious guys, you're your father, the devil. So, to sum that one up. Don't dwell on the bad things in our past, but ask God to grow us and sanctify us as a result. Trusting in the truth of Romans 8:28, God causes all things, all things even our bad past, to work for ultimate good. Let me put a cap on the end of this story as a former juvenile delinquent. About 20 years later, 15 or 20 years later, as a youth pastor, I got to go and preach the gospel to a bunch of kids that were in juvenile. And I, I was able to relate to them even better than if I just come out of some you know, clergy ivory tower. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God is so good. He is the king of all. He is in control of everything. So we press on. We press on. So after sanctified forgetting. So we've described sanctified forgetting. Any questions? Okay. There's the straining forward. There's the straining forward. One day at a time. One step at a time. One task at a time. The never-ending perseverance of the spiritual athlete. Paul used athletic terms a lot in his writing. Running the race one stride at a time. Or there's the undying determination of the soldier of Christ. Fighting one battle at a time for the glory of God. Never raising the white flag, even though it means death. I'm thinking... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Oh, oh king, we may die in that fire. But we ain't surrendering. We ain't bowing. We're pressing on. We may burn. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're pressing on. And we're not bowing. So just... Get that in your head. That's gotta be our heart, beloved. That's gotta be our mental attitude. I pray God will just infuse that in us by his spirit. Never quit, never give up, pressing on. We're not bowing. We're running the race. One step at a time, one lap at a time, and our eyes are fixed on the one we're becoming like. Press on, beloved, press on. Strain forward, strain forward. The Greek word means to stretch oneself out or toward. Why is this straining forward a vital aspect of the Christian life? Because we never arrive, right? In this life, we're never there. We never cross the finish line in this life. The finish line is later. Best life is later. Right now, we never cross the finish line. We're always straining forward. Let me me look at verse 12. And then we're going to compare it to verse 15. In verse 12, Paul admits that he's not arrived. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. I'm not there. I'm not going to be there in this life, but I'm pressing on. And then in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature... Mature. I think the Greek word in other places is, is translated perfect. Okay, in verse 12, he's not arrived. In verse 15, he says, he's mature. Sounds like he's, he's arrived. Well, no. Because also in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What way? What way, Paul? Think what way? Well the way he's been talking about, that we're not perfect. We haven't arrived. We have not obtained perfect Christ likeness. We're not even close to it. And we don't let our bad past weigh us down or our good past create a wistful longing that hinders us. But we are constantly moving forward. We are constantly straining forward. Here we have one of those amazing, beautiful, wonderful paradoxes in the Christian life. And it's this. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is understanding that you're not as mature as you should be. You got that? I'm going to say that again. That's a, that's a good one now. If you don't take anything, take that. That's a good one. One of the signs of spiritual maturity is understanding that you're not as mature as you should be. And that's exactly what Paul has said. In this text, verse 12 says, I'm not mature as I should be. Haven't obtained it. Not there. Haven't arrived. Verse 15. But mature people think that way. That's the way they think. Mature people know they're not mature enough. They're on a road. They're in a race. They're in a process. So what do we do? You know the answer. Press on. We press on. Because we're not there. We strain forward. And finally, we got the priority of perseverance. I'm going to hit these quick, okay? I got a lot of scriptures there, but we're not going to read them. I want you to to read them later, okay? The attitude of perseverance, of constantly pressing on, must be a priority in our lives. And if it hasn't been a priority in your life, I want you to make that a New Year's resolution for 2022. Lord, make me a presser owner, okay? Okay? A perseverer, one who perseveres, one who never quits, one who never gives up, no matter what, because I'm straining forward to the prize. I've got a great prize awaiting me, and I'm straining forward toward. it. So let's, let's quickly consider the example of the one who wrote these words, the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 23 to 31, if you read that, you'll see that twice, twice in those eight verses... Or nine verses. Twice he mentions that there are people who tried to kill him. People were trying to kill him. But what was his response? Oh, I better go hide. I better go... No, press on. I'm pre- pressed on. I'm pressing on. And look what God was doing in verse 31 of that text. He was adding to the church. The church was growing. And in part... I'm sure not the total, part, total reason, but in part it was because a guy named Paul was pressing on. He never quit. He never quit. In Acts fifteen thirty six to 41, we read about him losing his right-hand man, Barnabas, in a dispute over uh, including John Mark in their journey, in their mission. And he and Barnabas got into an argument about it debate, and they split. He lost his right-hand man, his number one guy. What was Paul's response? Oh, poor me. No, no he pressed on. Press on. <laughs> Press on. Second Corinthians 11, 1 to 6, you read about the competition he had uh, at the church in Corinth from the, what he called the super apostles, a tongue-in-cheek title he gave these guys. It would be like our Joel Osteens of our day and uh, our big TV preachers and all the super apostles, the super apostles who came proclaiming another Jesus and a different gospel. What did Paul do in this? Oh, everybody likes those people. They're so popular. I'll never be. No, he pressed on. He pressed on. He didn't quit. In that same chapter down in verse 23 through 28, we read about his multiple providential hardships, shipwreck, flogging, beatings, etc. You read about three times stone. You know, on and on and on. What ha- what was his response to all that? Press on. Press on. Second Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 received a thorn in the flesh. Thorn in the flesh. Biblical scholars have no clue what this is. Might have been a physical ailment. Might have been some human Person that was giving him a hard time might have been a demonic present because he said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Well, whatever it was, his response was still consistent. Pressed on. God, please move it. God, please remove this thorn. Prayer number two, God please remove this. Prayer number three, please, three times. Three times he prayed. God didn't. Okay, God, I guess you want me to quit. No, nope. he pressed on. Press on, press on. Galatians 4, 12 to 16. Maybe the saddest one. He's rejected for telling the truth. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That might be the most painful one. By speaking truth, many of the Galatians turned against Paul. But what did he do? Give up, quit, throw in the towel, surrender, no. No, you know the answer. He pressed on. He pressed on. 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 18, last letter. Last letter, his last letter. Others deserted him. Demas. You can read him. They, they deser- but the, look at his mindset at the end of verse 18. Over and over again, we read this emphasis. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. That was Paul's heart, wasn't it? That was Paul's heartbeat. This mindset of the glory of God in all things, even in hard times, dominated Paul. That's what kept him going. That's what kept him pressing on. That's what kept him straining forward. So, my question for you as we we begin 2022 is what mindset dominates you? What's your dominating mindset? What's your dominating mental attitude? I want to ask you to examine yourself regarding that as we prepare to come to the table. I want to close with a rather lengthy uh, excerpt from a tabletop from an article from, man, 14 years ago. When one's really good, I cut them out and put them in a folder so I won't forget them because I'm a forgetful person. and So I can share, with, share them with you again. I shared this with my church family in 2008. I want to read it to you again because a lot of new folks here. And go ahead and be honest. You've forgotten it. Okay? <laughs> okay? Here we go. Examine yourself. Prepare to come to the table. This is by Reverend Robert W. Field. I have no idea who this guy is, but his words have affected me and had an influence on me. His words are in a folder. <laughs> How does a Christian journey to the final paradise? Every day he wakes up in this world as a warrior pilgrim. That's probably why I cut it out. I love that title for us. Warrior pilgrims. People are on a journey fighting the good fight. Every day he wakes up in this world as a warrior pilgrim fighting the temptations to root him here while pressing on, there's our phrase, to his eternal reward. On this voyage, he draws close to his Savior through prayer and Scripture. He dresses himself with the armor of God. Solid Rockers, remember Weekend of the Word this year? We studied that. He dresses himself with the armor of God in order to face his conflicts. He finds fellow pilgrims, a church family, who are heading in the same direction and loves their fellowship along the way. He keeps his eyes on the eternal and does not become trapped in the finite. Man, just great phraseology here. That's a great resolution, isn't it? Don't get trapped in the finite. Don't get weighed down by the things that aren't going to last. He takes the members of his body and uses them for righteousness. Though he sees life decaying all around him. Anybody thinking of COVID? Including his own mortal body. Looked in the mirror lately. Yuck. Okay. He has the hope of resurrection and life in the new heavens and new earth. Here he finds everything changing. Friends pass away. Yep. Yep, we've had that, haven't we? Circumstances make life unpredictable. Yep, who would have ever dreamed Mark would have been leading our worship today? Our singing. Our singing. It's not, singing is not the worship time. Remember that. We're worshiping right now as we listen to God's word being preached. Yet in himself, he sees the seed of new life springing up in hope. He stores up treasures in that paradise that will never rust or decay. In essence, he lives here in this finite world as if, if, listen, he were already living in that holy paradise. His blessed Savior gives him a foretaste of what is to come. Yep, he does, right? Every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning. Every time we as individuals open the Bible and read, we're face-to-face with God in a sense, not in a perfect sense, but in a sense, a foretaste of the prize, a foretaste of Of what is to come, a peace that passes understanding, a joy that does not fade, and a love that is eternal. One day, we shall pass from this world. The Christian like Abraham waits patiently for the promises to be fulfilled. We know our best life is never going to be now. We know that. No matter what the super apostles say, our best life will never be now. It's the prize. It's what's coming. He knows that he will see and hear things that he has never imagined. He knows he will be transformed completely in holiness. He knows he will see Jesus. And on that day, sin and mortality will be swallowed up in the perfection and victory of the Son of God. which was made sure at Christmas. That's the whole point of Milton's book and T.M. Moore's book. This culminating, consummating, certain victory was made certain when the word became flesh. Thus, here it is. He presses on. To his final rest. So, which paradise are you seeking? Is it a daydream that will vanish away, like going to Hawaii, going to Mount Everest, going to whatever? I like what somebody said. When well, I'm not so much worried about Hawaii, I'll see it in the New Earth. <laughs> Which paradise are you seeking? Is it a daydream that will vanish away, or is it the eternal hope laid up in God which promises whose promises are certain? Press on, Christian. The night is past, and the day has already dawned upon the eternal city where we are heading. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the prize. Help us to continue to press on toward it. In Christ's name, amen.